Well, first of all, um, welcome this morning and sharing in a, an opportunity to uh, let the Holy Spirit come and speak uh, through us, through music and worship and the opportunity to worship with my daughter, our daughter. is always a great opportunity. Thank you for providing that. Um, the opportunity to share the gospel and speak the words of God's word and the Holy Spirit is a deep privilege. And I want to thank you for that privilege as well. But there's a burden on me. Um, and I realized this morning that I, I have a heavy weight. My name is not Bill. It seems like everyone that's preaching here is named Bill. Um, and I'm going to refer to the Bills. And, um, and I wanted to, uh, you know, um, give tribute to Bill Seaver, of course. Um, I loved Bill Wall's message last week. And then I knew that on the rotation was Bill Job, and I thought I could make a joke about Bill Job, but he showed up today. <laughs> the only thing I've got going for me is my name starts with a B, so I think I'll go with that. Um, in all seriousness, the weight of this. Um, I uh, thank my wife. Uh, she, she let me leave for hours at a time and disappear um, to pray to develop what it was that God wanted me to have. Bill walked with me. He kept asking me, do you, do you know what you're going to preach? you know what you're going to preach? And I'm going, no, I don't. Um, normally I don't have a hard time talking, but I'm really um, stuck. I don't know what to say. And then God, through the, the weeks, has revealed to me. I hope it's a blessing. Um, I know now why A.W. Tozer laid on his face with his coveralls and his suit on on his office floor for hours praying. This is a grave but wonderful opportunity. In the fall of 2019, an event occurred in our world and it changed us forever. SARS-2 COVID-19, a viral and deadly virus, began in the province of Wuhan, China spread through Asia, jumped to Europe, hit Italy hard, spread through Europe, and then came to the United States through what we call the epicenter of the infection in New York City. On the other side of the world, from Asia to our Pacific Northwest, we heard reports of people dying in nursing homes in Washington. And then I would say the rest is history. Um, we are living in a historic time, and the story has yet to be completed. The Delta variant is on the path, and it is wreaking havoc in places like India, Indonesia, northern Africa, even South Af Africa, I heard recently, was being hit hard. Central and South America, we don't hear as much news from, but they've also, it's been tough on them too. There's a lot of things about this pandemic we still don't know about, speaking medically especially. Um, but what we do know, and what I know, is that COVID-19 has changed our worldview, how we view the world. It's changed how we view the United States of America and our political system. It's changed how we interact in our local community here in Oak Ridge and in Knoxville. 
It's changed how we've interacted with our families. Um, the change is really within us deeply. And I don't want you to miss this, that everyone has a COVID story. And we can talk about it worldwide and politically and any way you, any angle you want to. I talk about it medically a lot. But really, we all have a COVID story. I want you to develop what that story is because in that, God is speaking. Without a doubt, the impact of COVID is something that God has shown us personally, each and every one of us. What is the message that God intends for you in 2020, in this past year? What's the message? Maybe it could be something along these lines. Um, My faith in God is really weakened. Um, I I, I feel distant from God. I'm not sure why, why this has happened. So much disease and destruction, so much turmoil. Or maybe it's I've drawn closer to God in faith. Maybe it's brought us to a realization of something deeper with him. Maybe it's, um, yay, finally, I have an excuse not to meet with family for Thanksgiving. (laughs) I mean, I think we all know what that feels like, but I've actually heard people say that. It shocks me, but I get it at the same time. Um, Or it could be that we long to be with our family. It could be that we have, have a yearning and a stronger urge now than ever. And then there's a question, what is the message for faith for um, uh, Faith Bible Fellowship? What is the message for us here today? An Ox County survey recently reported that a record number of churches have now gone below 100 members in our neighboring county here. And I, and I suspect it's the same in Anderson County too. The report also goes on to say that more churches are dying than being planted at this moment. We can't overlook the message of COVID. The year of 2020 was a year of fear, confusion, blame shifting, individuals demanding their rights, defiance. Our political leaders were finger pointing, immature, confusion breeding people. There was and still is unrest. We had riots in in our cities. Uh, We had what is considered to be an insurrection in Washington, D.C. But that's not the worst of COVID, not in my mind. In my mind, the worst of COVID is death. Over 600,000 people have died in the United States alone. Um, And with that death comes the death of our society as well. Remember last year. We, we are so blessed right now. It's harder to remember now, but remember last year. We, we were isolated socially. We, we were dead socially compared to what we used to be like. It brought us isolation. And looking from a little distance, we ran from one another. We ran. We hid. Now, different parts of the country handled it differently. In the West, uh, everyone hunkered down and hid. It was hard to move about. Here, not so much, but you know what I mean. Um, we, we were afraid, and we stopped gathering. 
Um, babies were born at our local hospitals and there wasn't family around. Worse, babies were born and sent home and there wasn't family around. Families couldn't see their own newborn babies, grandchildren. Wives drove their husbands to the hospital. And husbands drove their wives and children drove their parents who had symptoms. They were dropped off at the emergency department and then they were whisked in. Uh, They were tested positive for COVID, put in isolation, sent to the isolated COVID floor, worsened all the while, only the touch of a glove maybe from a nurse, go down to the ICU because they were suffering, needed to be intubated, and they would die, isolated and alone, no family members. I had the privilege, I was invited into the local hospital to be a doctor that would talk to the nurses, talk to the patients, and pray with them when the opportunity arose. Um, that was sort of a fulfillment of two months of struggling. Lord, what do you want me to do? Um, I left my practice. The jobs, part-time jobs I had were drying up. COVID was closing everything. And I was sitting going, now what? God opened that door. The administration asked me to be, play that role. And I remember the first day I went to the COVID floor and one of the first patients I saw was an elderly man, 80 some. 82 years old, I think. And I walked in his room, and and look, I was green. I didn't know what COVID looked like, and I hope I can impart to you what it really did look like. I walked into his room, and he was not on oxygen. He had no mask. He was talking to me without labor, and I talked to him for a while. I asked him if he was a praying man. He said, absolutely. May I pray with you? And he grabbed my hand, like many did, because there was no touch, grabbed my hand, and we prayed. I walked out down to the nurse's station. The nurse secretary looked up at me and said, "Um, the patient in 501 uh, called um, called his wife, and his wife called me and said, thank you for praying for my husband. And I went, wow. You know, I came to be a blessing, and now I'm already first day out being blessed. I think I'll come back two days later, check on my patients. So two days later, I walk in and say, hey, is the patient in 501, how's he doing? She looked at the nurse and said, "Um, I think he went to the ICU and he passed. And I I, I literally took a step back. He passed. What do you mean passed? I mean, I, I was in denial in that moment. And then I looked at them and they looked at each other and I went, oh, you all are doing this every day, aren't you? Hearing this story every day. Well, I was still in denial, so I, I dismissed myself, went down to the ICU, and I said, hey, patient so-and-so came down. The nurse said, uh, yeah, he came down. He, uh, we had to intubate him, and he died yesterday. And I, look, and, and I did it again. I went, he died? And they looked at me like, what planet are you from? That's what's going on with covid Every day, every day. I was in the ICU later, a couple months later, standing at the corner of two hallways. They had taken the ICU, which is a large square, and put two of those hallways in isolation. Negative pressure, so you, when you walk off the elevator, pff, what hair I had was going up. 
everything was being swooped out. And um, he just sets a tone. You know, when you feel it, when you walk in, you feel it. You look at the nurses. They're not talking. I went to the ICU, talked to two nurses. They were two believers. And I guess the safety of them being believers, I said something out loud. I don't know if it's happened to you before. Where you say something, you go, did I just say that? What is it about me? And I said, I've been here for four months praying for people to live. And they're all dying. Was that a crisis of belief? I asked me. <laughs> no, it wasn't. What was going on was that God had called me to do something, but he was doing something greater. The heavenlies, something greater than life and death on that level. He was doing something. From that point on, they started letting patients come in with their families, one family member. And so I started to say, hey, I'm praying for your husband. I'm praying for your wife. I really don't know them, but I'm standing out here praying for them. And, oh, come on in, come on in. And so I prayed with family members as their family members were dying. And I, I realized that the stories of these people's lives and the families and the units of their family were so much greater than life and death. A realization, for a doctor especially, In Guatemala, of which I'm going tomorrow, so please pray for that this week's trip. Um, my friend and I with Vine International were, uh, my last trip to Guatemala was March 2020. Um, we had our normal five-day trip, and we booked our flights to leave on Thursday. We left on Thursday. By Saturday, the whole country had shut down. We made it by the skin of our teeth. Uh, it would have been interesting to be shut down in Guatemala with covid um, so God really blessed me in that. But the country shut down, the airport shut down, travel shut down, the city, Guatemala City, several million people shut down. And when they shut down the city, the public transportation, everyone that has a job that depends on that job almost day in and day out dependency, they have no margin. They don't have food stored up. It takes about a week to start starving, and that's what happened. People would wave white flags. And even the last time I was there in 2021, there were still white flags. People in the street, the white flag said, I'm starving, I have no food. Thankfully, I mean, watching God work through Vine International, we shipped food, and we are distributing food in helping that. And I praise God for that. The COVID doctors... They weren't COVID doctors. They were doctors. We're told, you're going to work over in this COVID ward, the ward that they made out of this arena, and you're going to take care of them, and the doctors are smart enough to say, how am I going to protect myself from COVID? That's your problem, not mine. So doctors were going home telling their wives, wives telling their husbands, I'm going to take care of COVID patients now with no protection. Thankfully, God sent, unbelievably, a year before, N95 masks, which were hard to come by. We had a boatload in our warehouse in Guatemala. Gave gowns and N95 masks out to the doctors in Guatemala City. God is at work. It's amazing. With all of that news... 
I, I really do have good news. God is at work, working in us, refining us. He is moving us in the events of life, orchestrating beautifully. Um, in this place, in this church, he's orchestrating beautifully. It may be that you would say, you know, COVID's been hard, but you don't even know the half of what uh, Faith Bible Fellowship has been through. And you're right, I don't. I know that it's been hard, and COVID's only part of your story. But I think I know enough to give you encouragement and to give you um, um, some um, challenges today. So in this COVID world and in our world, in our churches... God has orchestrated us to a place, and that place leaves us one option. That is to look up, cry out to God, and call on his name. Bill preached several, Bill Seaver preached several weeks ago, uh, that, that God creates corners for us. He moves us into corners so that we're stuck. We can't go backward. We can't move forward. All we can do is look up. And in looking up, God gives us him. He comes to us. He answers our humble cry. Um, he, will ch- he will change us in the process, and he will do it in an intimate way. What I've just described about these events of, of COVID in 2020 puts us really in a place that's in great company. We see in Genesis what happened to humans after the rebellion, the rebellion against God that started in the heavenlies. That rebellion spilled down onto earth and through Adam and Eve. And guess what Adam and Eve did? They ran. And I suspect they ran in separate directions. It didn't look like their relationship was great at that moment. And they hid. Well, they had children, and their children ran. And as humanity rolled, so did the running. I would even say this today. This is, this is quite the challenge, but I think we still are running. But let me clarify that. That bold statement is a positive and a negative. So we're still running away from God or we're running to God. That's the next challenge for us in our hearts right now. And I would say it personally. Am I right now running away from God or am I running to God? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the one I love. Take my heart, Lord. Take it, seal it. Seal it for the courts above. So that that beautiful hymn uh, directed me toward this, that in our hearts, what I call the affections, we can find out the answer to whether we're running toward God any moment or running away from him. So let's look at our affections. Some people call them emotions. I tend not to use the words that are so common because we get locked in. But our affections can answer the question. Things like unattached fear, hopeless, helpless 
despair. Um, these are things that, that are rooted really in, in guilt and shame. Things that we had in the beginning that we run from God in. Um, our almighty God is a loving God, but we don't believe it when we're running. We believe that he's not a good God. And so when we run away from him, we only have one choice but to fear, one choice but to become despondent and despair, one, no other choice but to become fearful, ter- popular terminology, anxieties, panic. These are, these, these are the only choices. We cannot run away from God's goodness or we'll, we'll, we'll not make it. We'll, we'll be running away. We have to run to him. But what about our actions? Sometimes our actions can give us an idea of whether we're running to him or running away from him. Um, things like, um, uh, I'll go on the negative side here, lying to cover up, stealing things that aren't ours, envy, jealousy, hatred. These are not the things of God. These are the things of us when we run away. The worst of it, to me, is damaged and broken relationships. Again, another COVID story around the corner here that flushed us out. We need relationships, and when we put our trust and our hopes in another human, uh, we have to be careful because we will eventually... Have someone do harm to us, someone that would betray us, someone that would deny, someone that would talk about us, someone that would hurt us, and we have two choices. The negative side is to become angry, bitter, hate, unforgiving. We can't do this on our own. If, if it's human power, if it's human energy, it will be that we run. And what happens when... I have this hatred for someone or bitterness towards someone. I put walls up and I protect myself. I insulate myself and I feel better. In fact, I could go to the local psychologist and hear how I need to protect myself even more. And what I have just done is wall myself up in isolation and I will not be able to relate not only to the person that I can't forgive in the moment but also to people around me. God's word confirms we're on the run. In Genesis 3, the account of the fall of man. In Genesis 4, we find the account of the first anger to murder story. Cain murders Abel. From there, as you read, it's so-and-so begets so-and-so and so-and-so begets so-and-so. And what we find is that as humanity grows and multiplies, so does sin. So does the anger, the disobedience, the conflicts. They grow along with us, the fruit of sin. But in chapter 4, verse 26, the flow is what I just told you. It's negative, negative, negative. But in that verse, we find something that's out of the blue astounding. And I read, At that time men began to call on the name of the Lord. At that time, men called on the name of the Lord. That's what we need to do. We're in the corner. We need to call on the name of the Lord. One of those men was Abram. God answers Abram's call. 
God is faithful. He answers the call with a call to action on Abram's part and also a promise, not only promise and promises, but covenants. Now, what I loved about Bill Wall's message last week was he talked about covenants, he talked about marriage covenant. And um, I, I find myself repeating every once in a while, not frequently, but every once in a while that, uh, and with my patients especially, don't promise anything to anybody. You make your promises to Jesus and you make your promise to your wife or your husband, as it were. And don't make any more promises. Don't make covenants with people. Keep your life clean and easy and free. And so I started thinking, well, there are two covenants, right? Covenant to God, God's covenant back, and then our covenant to our spouses for those who are married. But they're really one and the same. And I think Bill brought that out last week, that, that we are by blood making covenants, by life and death making covenants, and those are the only two. Let's read Genesis 12, 1 through 7, kind of give us a backdrop. Genesis 12, 1 through 7. Oh, I might need these. Just to make me look smarter, I don't really don't need them. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will Bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had inquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he, Abram, built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So we see Abram was a man, um, and by his history and in Genesis 13, we find that Abram was a man of great wealth. And with wealth comes power, prestige, authority. Um, I'm going to go 500 years past when Joshua is speaking to the people who are actually going to go into the land, to take the land and live in the land. Joshua says this, When you have been given everything and you are filled many times over, don't forget the Lord your God. See, we people of abundance, it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to just drift and depend on what we see and what we have. But that's, that's what makes Abram's uh, decision impressive to me. It's extraordinary that he would humble himself and call on the Lord with all the riches that he had. Because we know it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It should not surprise us, however, that the Lord responded the way he did. God always, always hears our humble cry. Abram denied his position of wealth and stature in the community to obey God. 
They took all the possessions that they could gather and they took their people and they left. They left to a place that from known to unknown. And I bet there were people that were walking in that caravan looking back and looking at all the gold and silver and animals and barns and houses and beds that they were walking away from. If you read in Genesis 13, all the things that they had. And they were looking back with what they left. I do know this, that Abram was willing to give up everything that he had to a place that he did not know they went. They lived in tents as foreigners. And they never entered into the into the um, promised land. They went through it. They never really got to it. But Abram was counted as righteous, as a righteous man by God because of his faith. Abram walked by faith in God, walked on a path of intense relationship with God. That's the way God works. He makes a covenant with Abraham, very intimate covenant with Abraham. He takes Abraham and puts him to sleep. He takes several animals, slices them in half, and then God swears by his own name with the blood of those animals that he is going to be faithful to Abram. It takes blood sacrifice. A covenant takes death. It's that important. But then God made a second covenant with Abram. Unbelievable. I mean, what a great God we have that he would continue to move intimately. So he came to Abram and he said, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change you to Abraham. Abraham means the father of many nations. And then he marked Abraham by a very personal mark called circumcision. I'm pretty sure Abram said, now God, you said you were going to do what next after? But how intimate is this story really? So reviewing quickly, Abram humbled himself. God called him out, changed his name, and created a race, a father of many nations that would lead us to Jesus. Kind of the point. Let's let's move uh, to uh, this point about him being in abundance Because we are people that live in abundance. If we humble ourselves before God, leaving what we have, call on the name of the Lord, will he come? Will he act today like he acted with Abram? And will we receive him in a personal, intimate way? Does God work that way? Would God call us to walk by faith and to go into the unfamiliar place? A call not to trust what is familiar and comfortable. Not to trust the status quo or, oh, we always have done it this way. But trusting God in a fresh, unfamiliar way for the things that we need. Trusting him to lead us where he wants us to go in a brand new way. Well, by the way, the answer is yes. We all know it who have submitted our lives to Jesus because that's exactly what we do when we come to Jesus. 
We cry out to him. We need you. We're thirsty. The living water comes. Jesus shed his blood on the cross. A covenant maker. That blood didn't cover our sin. That blood took away our sin. Jesus died. We died with him. We're dead. Jesus rose again and we rose with him. And when we rose... We got new life. He gave us a new heart. And he changed our names. The cool thing is that that's great for eternity. But it is really right now. We have that right now. When we leave our life that God's given us. And by the way, we have powerful lives here. We can do a lot of good with our lives. There's energy there. God gave it to us. And we can live our whole life with that energy, never calling on the name of the Lord, and doing good things, and being a great guy, and being a great woman, being known for stuff, and we'll run out of energy. I promise. Or, we can take the life he gave us and said, well, this is the life you gave me. I'm going to give it back to you. And what do we get? Get the power of God himself through the Holy Spirit. An unlimited power never runs out, never runs dry. All we have to do is be the empty clay vessel that's filled with him. Then what we do is eternal. I know we are all eternal creatures here, so we are worth any energy put into us. We are. But not with man's energy, but with God's energy. Well, let's change gears and look at a second scenario. The first scenario is in Genesis in the beginning of creation. It's a story of Abram having a lot that he gives up. The second scenario I'm going to take you through is at the end of creation. And it's a story of loss, of losing, of what has been taken away. In the book of Revelation, we see messages to seven churches. Each church a real church in a real city. Each message given to that church was specifically for that church, but those messages also apply to us and our churches, to us and us individually even. Uh, Bill read uh, last week from the church, about the church, I think it was in Ephesus, if I'm not mistaken. Well, today we're going to read about the church in Sardis. And it's also, just as a side note, also true, um, or at least widely believed, that these churches, each seven church, represents a period of time in our history. Uh, that we can look through the history since Jesus and map out what it's going to look like. Uh, the church at Sardis is the, the church um, that represents the Reformation. And so the church at Sardis represents the birth of Protestantism. Reading Revelation gives us a practical overview of ourselves, our church, the movement of God through the history. And John says that if you read the book of Revelation, you will be blessed specifically. I suggest we read it. I'm going to go ahead and read a part of it in Revelation 3, just seven verses. 
And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in my sight and in sight of God. Remember, then, what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you will have, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father, before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is quite a different scenario. The church at Sardis is nearly in ruin, has lost a lot, and is ready to lose everything if they don't wake up. They're doing things that make them look functional. But they're really dead. They're missing something. The thing that God says makes them incomplete. He says, remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. So what are they missing? What have they received but have not kept? What do they need to repent of? The name Sardis means those escaping or renovation. According to the Believer's Bible Commentary, William MacDonald, the commentator, writes this. It is in the power of the Holy Spirit that he controls the churches and their messengers. Sardis was a church of lifeless profession. It had a reputation of Christian assembly, but for the most part, it simply went through a dull, formal, dull routine. It did not overflow with spiritual life. It did not sparkle with the supernatural. This describes many of our local churches, sadly. These churches function only as what the limits of their leaders know or their resources. They don't sparkle with the Holy Spirit. They've lost their affection for their sheep. They've lost their affection for God. The leaders at Sardis seem to be non-repentive, idol-seeking men caught in patterns of sin start staining their garments and thus lifeless in the Holy Spirit remember we possess a spirit that cannot attach the glory of God to such activities a life of disobedience removes the power of the Holy Spirit have we the local churches in Knoxville and Oak Ridge taken a chapter out of this type of church out of the type of church that often we see in the 21st century, picking winsome leaders and hiring staff that have highest intellectual prowess, winsome, successful in business, educated to the highest levels, loud, demonstrative worship, multiple programs and self-motivating preaching. I'm not saying any of that, you know, some of that's good, but are we dedicated to that? Are we working only out of what we know culturally, intellectually? Or are we working out of our wealth 
or our position or prestige, our winsomeness? Well, or the other side. Are we prayerfully seeking the Lord and acting on what God is telling us? Picking the people to lead the church like Jesus picked men. Remember who Jesus picked. Jesus went about picking people that would follow him. People that were uneducated, misfits, often scorned and rejected, outcast in the society. Jesus picked and measured from something on the inside. He picked men of humility, compassion, and willingness to obey. God changed those men to disciples and then to apostles. Twelve men that God used to change the world as we know it today. God will answer us and walk with us. He will speak to us. He will guide us to the churches of Knoxville and Oak Ridge. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. So where do we go from here? Our churches are at a crossroads. I think COVID, in a sense, has exposed some of the self-reliance that we have in our churches. Which direction will we take? What do we have here that remains? Do we try to go back and reduce what has been lost? I say we take the road where the Holy Spirit is guiding us. Let's take a road where we clearly hear his voice and where we accept change based on his changing us. Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I think that's a good choice. Being led by the Spirit of God and obeying his voice. And so the next question is, specifically, how is God leading Faith Bible Fellowship? And what is God saying to us here? Instead of 21st century church philosophy, let's look at 1st century church philosophy. The first century church was under duress, persecution, underground, not really visible. Uh, The more visible, the more target. They worked out of their poverty, not their wealth. And what they had, they clearly gave to one another. They couldn't work out of abundance. They couldn't see what they didn't have and focus on what they didn't have. They had to work at the task at hand and just keep moving through in the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have the luxury either. We should do the same. We shouldn't look back on what we had that we don't. We shouldn't think that the abundance or the right people are going to be the right pick in and of themselves. We have to work out what remains, clearly relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. God will purify what remains. He will always, always provide for this church, for the namesake of his glory, the things that we need here. So in summary, the call to action is to pray. Call on the name of the Lord. Expect him to come. Expect intimacy with him. Be ready to leave the familiar behind. Walk in obedience. Don't fall back on what you know, not the status quo. Be ready to lose for the sake of Christ. Be ready to be obedient. The the Holy Spirit moves powerfully through humble obedience. Serve your neighbor and the resources he has given you. So I leave you with this vision. 
Jesus said, the fields are white for harvest, but the workers are few. First day I came to this church, Siggy was by my side, and she goes, this is a beautiful church. I love this church. I started thinking about that, um, church building-wise. This building is a community church. I, I'm calling it a community church. It's small. It is beautiful, by the way. But I remember asking a few people the first couple times I came, it's like, what makes you come to church here? I mean, I know there's the answer God led me and the, the greater answer, and that's a good answer. But really, what is it that makes you come here? I drove past 15 churches on the way here. Close. Big ones. And I think that's a great question. And I think that uh, we should have an answer. Uh, everyone be ready with an answer. So here's the vision. Four walls. To my left, your right. Go through that wall. What do you run into? It's a graveyard. I've walked the graveyard. I've read the tombstones. It's intriguing. But I'm telling you, there's nothing out there for us there on that side. Let's contrast that. To the front of the church we go. Through the doors, what do you hit? A huge neighborhood. On my motorcycle one day after church, y'all kicked me out because you had a special meeting. <laughs> it's huge. Up Iroquois Avenue, all the way around Illinois Avenue, back to Robertsville Road, huge neighborhood. The fields are white. There are a lot of people there waiting to hear the good news of the gospel waiting to hear that we can be free in Christ. We don't have to be in bondage anymore. We can be free. We can have a life that matters. It goes beyond what we see. It is a heavenly, eternal what matters. Behind me, I always have to look, yeah. Behind me, through that wall, is what? It's an elementary school. Willowbrook Elementary School. At last survey, 361 students... Ratio of student to teacher, 12 to 1, pretty good. So that leaves about 30 teachers. That school is in the lower half of the school ratings for the state. 27% of the students, only 27%, are proficient in math. 17% proficient in reading. Now can you imagine what it's like going to school as a teacher with that weight on your shoulders. With a principal, my job's at stake, we need to get those numbers up, haranguing the teachers. And you know what it's like. Is there a teacher here? You know what it's like being a teacher? You go into the classroom, you're caring for your students, you've got whatever ratio there is, 12, 15, 13, You've got empty walls or you had the walls that you had last year and you want to update it. And so who goes and gets that stuff? Teacher does. Then you've got parents. You've got to meet the parents. You've got to make sure that they know that you know that we all want our children to be smarter and that we care. And we do. I mean, if you're a believer in Christ, that's your mission field. But can you imagine the weight it wouldn't take much to go over there and pick up trash. and It wouldn't take much to plant a bush or two. 
And it wouldn't really take much to go talk to the teachers and say, what can we do to help you? Do you need a package to help you start this school year? Let's go to this side. This side is kind of empty, but if you go just down the road, you have Robertsville Baptist Church. Have you wondered? COVID, 2020, what is it like being at Robertsville Baptist Church? I mean, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Because aren't we all about ourselves and... Yeah, that's them, and we're here, and you're in the same neighborhood. You have the same function. The function that we're talking about was lost in Revelation 3. What has COVID done to that church? Well, again, sneaking around, riding around, because I love riding motorcycles. That church parking lot is less than half full. Every Sunday I've driven by. Now, maybe they hide in the parking lot like you guys do behind the church. What has COVID done? What, what's going on over in that church? What came to my mind was co-serving. Kind of a crazy idea. But the fields, they're white and they're ready for harvest. Well, let's pray. Father, um, there have been so many hours of prayer so many hours of concern that your Holy Spirit moves in this service today. May the Holy Spirit uh, dwell down deeply in our hearts. May you have opened our ears and may we hear what you had to say today. And not only that, but may we act on and do the things that we've heard today. May we not forget what this message was about. We pray that you will do your work. We know that you'll come. We know that you'll be intimate with us. We know that you will walk with us and your glory will be seen as we humble ourselves before you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.